If you're in construction, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Constructed Behaviors Podcast. I'm your host, Barb Allen. I'm a woman with decades of experience in the construction industry, and most of it on the job site. I know how rewarding this industry can be, but like you, I also know that we could improve. Let's work together to make changes from the inside out. Today's guest is Sammy Wallace. Sammy has a bachelor's degree in construction management, another bachelor's degree in technical communication, and a minor in business management. With all of that education, what has Sammy chosen as a career path? Only the best career on the planet, construction job site superintendent. Sammy is actually a senior superintendent after receiving a promotion last month at Clark Construction, one of the largest general contractors in the nation. And oh, I may have forgotten to mention Sammy is short for Samantha. That's right. Today, you'll be listening to not one, but two experienced female superintendents. Let's do this. Welcome to the show, Sammy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited that you are too. You are my first female superintendent that I have interviewed for the podcast. And I've been wanting to do this forever. And I'm just, I'm super excited now. So the audience knows we don't know each other. We, we met, uh, via zoom about eight minutes ago. Um, and we met, we connected initially through LinkedIn because I had saw, uh, we have a mutual connection in Liliana and Liliana had commented on your promotion last month. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to know who this is. Like, I was so excited for you. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. You, you graduated college in 2015, right? Yeah. I graduated in 1996. So there are 19 years difference between when I started in the industry, headed down the superintendent path and when you started in it. So I'm super excited to hear how different it's been because honestly, the year you started in the field after graduating college is the year that I left the field. And I went on to the office side of the business. So your entire experience has been since I stepped out of the field. And I'm just, I'm super excited to hear your take on it. So, all right, let's get started um, by just talking about your story. Um, so what, what brought you into construction at all? And like, when, like, when did you start to realize that construction was the career you were going to head into? I started doing Habitat for Humanity work, uh, volunteering in high school. So freshman year of high school, all through senior year, I did a trip the summer after my senior year. So we traveled from North Carolina, where I'm from, out to Seattle, which actually ended up being where I worked on a construction project two years ago for six and a half months. So it came really full circle, which was fun. Awesome. And I spent a week out there with a bunch of folks that I didn't know and got to work on a job site in Seattle and it really got me hooked. So I went to Milwaukee School of Engineering. 
Uh, my dad and my grandfather also went to Milwaukee School of Engineering. So a lot of people ask how I got there from North Carolina. And I thought I really liked the winter. Turns out I didn't know what winter was. But <laughs> I made it. And they have a very strong architectural engineering and construction management program. So I started AECM, as we call it, and then I took physics and realized I shouldn't engineer anything, <laughs> and that was really not my vibe at all, And but I really loved working with volunteers on habitat sites and organizing volunteers and figuring out kind of where they're going to work and the schedule and all that stuff, and that really lends itself to the construction management side of the business. So I decided to switch my major. Uh, to construction management, but I still was interested in communication and marketing and stuff like that. So we take a lot of business classes anyway with a CM degree, and it worked out that I could graduate in four years and two quarters, so a little short of five full years, and get the two degrees and the minor. Awesome. Yeah, so which was you said you started with Habitat in high school. Did you say what year high school? I, let's see, I graduated in 2010. It was my freshman year of high school that I started working with Habitat. So, okay. So before, before, before your experience with Habitat, what was your thought, if you had any at all about construction? My grandfather works in, worked in construction. He's retired now. Um, my great grandfather owned a motor grading company. And so a lot of my grandfather and a lot of my great uncles were involved in that. And so I'd been on construction sites. I had been, you know, on construction equipment, riding around in the bucket of a front end loader when I was a kid and, um, stuff like that. So I, I liked it. I didn't necessarily, you know, think of it as a career path yeah. at all. I think I still wanted to be a veterinarian at that point. Um, but again, I took biology and that <laughs> turned out to not be my thing either. So. You and I have very, very many similarities. Biology <laughs> was not my thing either. Yeah. And I love animals. I grew up riding horses. I really thought I wanted to be a vet, but um, still kind of in a similar vein, didn't want to sit at a desk wanted to, you know, be active and be able to work with people. And um, so I think, I think it is a little bit in the same mindset of why I kind of thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. So what, what did, uh, what did or do your parents do? What were their careers? Yeah. So when I was growing up, my dad worked in NASCAR. Um, he was, did on you say NASCAR? Room. Yeah. What? North Carolina. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So have you um, been to, I'm sorry, now I'm going to sidebar. Have you been to can, a lot yeah. of NASCAR races? Not a ton, but I did go to the, go to the Daytona 500 twice before I was two. Uh, hopefully <laughs> with headphones, right? Um, it was probably before. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's not but call your parents out on fine. That right It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, uh, I am someone who I, I like to try things. Like I, I don't know if I'm going to like it until I try it. Right. There, there are a few things like I'm, I've decided bungee jumping is something that's off my list. I, my body is too old for that kind of, um, trauma, but NASCAR, I never thought I'd like NASCAR. And I remember one time my cousin, my cousin called me up and said, Hey, my fiance is not able to go to the, I want to call it a race, the game, right? Like I'm totally race. NASCAR. No, the I race. All yeah. the wrong words. Yeah, um, no, here, at, here at Kansas Speedway, he's like, Hey, do you want to go? And my first thought was, 
fuck no. Like, I don't want to go. But at the same time, like, okay, I haven't done it. Let me go. Like, I want to go try it. And I went and it was amazing. I was like, this is so fun. There were two things that I really loved about it. One, uh, well, there were three. One was that there was no line for the women's bathroom, like zero. Um, The second was I've never been in any, any place that full of people with that many men that were quiet. It's like they sit there with those headphones on because they're listening to their drivers. And so it's like, they're not yelling and screaming. And like, it's not like a football game. It's like, it's like this big outdoor auditorium of men just being quiet. It was the weirdest thing. I loved listening, like putting the headphones on and listening to the drivers and, you know, having them talk to their pit crews and, okay, so now circling back. So your dad was on uh, a pit crew. Was Yeah. When I was really little. Yeah. And then he moved into building engines. Um, so he would take me to the race shop. Like he'd put the pack and play down in the race shop. And, um, so yeah, grew up in that kind of area. Awesome. So um, did you, did you interact with many female drivers? No, there were okay. no female drivers when yeah. my, like my dad got out of NASCAR before like Danica Patrick or any of that. And so okay. there, yeah, there was none of them. Okay. And then your mom? Uh, yeah. So she works for a company that makes seamless products. So like Spanx and uh, sports bras and tights and socks and stuff like that. So if you've bought a pair of tights from Target, in the past 20 years, um, my mom probably figured out how to import that to get it here. That's <laughs> and amazing. So yeah, she manages importing and exporting and um, tariffs and stuff that I like barely understand. But yeah, that's what here. she does, which is very cool. A lot of logistics. You were raised by a woman who knows how to get things done. Yes. And uh, she, when I was little, was actually an electronics technician at Sears. Um, and so very male, you know, well, I saw something the other day. That wasn't changing the terminology from male dominated to male populated, male populated. Yes. That's a whole so she conversation in, I would like yes, to have at I some love. point. And so I was like, all right, great. So she was in a very male populated field and, um, which was cool to see, like she came home every day and like, Oh, Sears work uniform and, you know, greasy hands. And so did my dad. And so it was yeah. very normal in our household to have the like dirt quote unquote dirty jobs, you know? Um, and yeah, but then she, obviously people don't get their VCRs repaired anymore in their vacuum cleaners. Uh-huh. They just buy new ones. And Did so she say VCR? And went back to school and ended up in, you know, this totally different industry. Um, okay. So you made me want to talk about attire for a second. Um, talking about your mom coming home and, you know, the, the male type Sears uniform. Um, I know for me coming up in the industry, I spent the first uh, let's see, 2010 is really when I started to started to wear some clothes that kind of looked feminine. But I so I spent the first 15 years do, doing everything I could just to look like one of the guys. Um, I'm curious with you starting in 2015, how, what's how have you felt about attire and how have you felt about what you should or shouldn't wear? Do you just not care? Like, I uh, tell me more. Yeah. I have a very similar feeling about that. Okay. I was on my first construction site when I was 20. So that would have been, oh, let's see, I can't do fast math, but 2012, I guess would have been my um, first 
time on a construction site and I was the only woman on my whole site. I was an intern, brand new. Mm-hmm. And I got pink work boots and pink gloves and pink glasses. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit. Like okay. I am a woman and I like to wear pink, but I wore like very loose jeans and like a polo, like definitely feminine but in a way that wasn't going to attract negative attention sure um and I I think maybe a year ago started wearing like skinnier pants to work. <laughs> so it took me a very long time I think just getting that attention f- because you're a woman or mm-hmm. because someone's attracted to you or something it's just it feels so icky at work and a- as it turned out that didn't help at all yeah made no fucking difference. Um, but you know, it, it was a little bit of like a safety net for me. It was like a yeah. little bit of armor. Like I'm going to wear my baggy Carhartt pants and a button down flannel and look like a boy, but yeah, obviously yeah. I did not look like a boy. Well, and people, women are very divided on this topic. And, um, I, I think, you know, I mean, there are women that are like, no, wear exactly what you want to wear, but it's, it goes back to an episode that I recently released on authenticity. And I just believe that you need to be who you need to be in that moment. Like if that makes you more comfortable, if that provides that safety net for you, then wear that. If you want to just wear and be exactly who you would be outside of work and that is appropriate attire for a construction site, then do that. I just don't, I think it's, I don't think we should judge each other on what we, what we're comfortable wearing or how we decide to make ourselves more masculine with our attire or display our feminism. Quit judging each other on that, right? Just do, do you and what makes you more comfortable. And, uh, it's, it's been an interesting progression. I feel like I wish that I really wish that through the years I had had the foresight to think, man, I'm going to have a podcast and get doing consulting and stuff later and would have taken pictures of like me through the years of here is, um, man, I, one of my episodes, Coy McKinney, uh, one of my favorite people I ever worked with, he used to say, I look like a 12 year old boy. Like in all of our pictures, I always look like a 12 year old boy. And, um, I did, and I don't look like that anymore, but I, I wanted just to blend in. And I always had that kind of younger look, but Uh, way I have completely derailed this conversation. Okay. So you, um, neither of your parents were in construction, but also male dominated and, um, your grandparent, your grandpa, grandpa, and your great grandpa had construction businesses, but like me, you just never saw it as like, oh, this is a career I'm going to go into, but you got into it accidentally through Habitat Through Humanity, you got your hands on the tools, which a friend of mine, Camille Finan, is like, that's the thing. If women can get their hands on tools and realize the what it feels like, it's empowering. And then it makes you want to do and learn more. Um, and I, big thing too is for me, like the reason I love being a superintendent is because I'm solving problems every day. Mm-hmm. No two days are the same. And you're working with so many different people. Like it's fully a people business. And so it's not like you're sitting in crunching numbers or you're making widgets. Like you're interacting with people all day. And I love that. Yeah. And I think if more people thought of it like that versus, oh, this is like a dirty thing and you're using a hammer and a nail, like, yeah, sometimes I need to do that, but that's nowhere near the majority of my job. And so I think it actually lends itself really well to be something women are good at. And yes. it just amazes me that 
that just hasn't caught on because it's just been so intimidating of a field to get into. Yeah. Well, and you're right. Communication is something that in general, women tend to be really good at. And one of the things that I loved about being a superintendent and the industry as a whole is that everyone is so different. Their personalities are so different. And this may not be fair to say, but I feel like you you walk into, um, uh, somebody's going to yell at me for saying this, but you walk into an estimating department and I kind of feel like everybody kind of has a similar personality, but in the field, I mean, they are all over the place. And I loved figuring out how to how to work with each of them individually so that it was a mutually beneficial relationship. I love that. It feels like that little win. Like whenever someone like just very typically old school guy that isn't really sure you're supposed to be there and you like crack that nut and get in there and you're the person they call when they need something. Oh, it's just the best feeling. It It is. It, it absolutely is. I love watching your face as you say that. It's like the my words coming out of your face. Like I know exactly how that felt. So tell me about what is your, and I know it's not an official process, but what is your process? Like, I, I assume that just like you said, there are guys who still come in. You're like, eh, is she really the superintendent? Does she really know what she's doing? What is your unofficial process to get them to come around? What, what do you do? The thing that's worked best for me is figuring out what that person needs and getting it for them. Because every trade partner on a job needs something. They need more room. They need somebody out of their way. They need to change how we're going to build something to make it easier for them. And maybe it doesn't really impact the next trade, you know, and it's a good idea. They need someone to listen to them. And once I kind of figure out what that is, then I know I'm going to be able to get what they need. And then when I need something, they're going to be there and be able to do that and be willing to work with me. So that's kind of always my first process, I guess, when I meet someone is what, what, what is their motivation? Like, what do they need? What are they not getting from this situation? Like, how are they going to be successful and be able to make that happen for them? And then you've got a friend for life. Yeah, I don't I don't think that I ever put it into those words, but that's that's really what I was doing as well. It was a, you know what, let them come around as they see that I'm going to take care of what they need. I am going to support them. Um we are going to do this as a team and as they start to start to realize that oh, when this happens, this happens. Like she takes care of it or she explains it to me or she resolves the issue in a way that's mutually beneficial. Um it's like they just start coming around. And have you found that, have you found those particular um, people to be even more, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, More, even bigger supporters of you once they do come around? For sure. It, it really definitely is because then you'll hear those people later because inevitably I, construction workers love to gossip. <laughs> they love to talk. And they do. Someone will be talking about me. It will happen. It will happen on a job site. But my guys will come and tell me or they will stand up for me in a meeting or if someone mumbles something under their breath, they'll call them out. And so those are always the people I find that are willing to you know, stand up and 
be, you know, my supporter when I need it for sure. Okay. So that is somewhere I wanted to go in this conversation anyway. So like I mentioned, the way we connected was when you posted your promotion on LinkedIn and I went back through and looked at that post that you made and you had 49 people that commented on that post. I don't know if you know that, but I was looking at the the numbers. I looked down through all of the comments and what I loved is that although it may not have been an equal mix of male and females, because women do tend to support women a little more than men supporting women, but there were some men um, on your that actually commented. And granted, there's the easy button where you hit congratulations or whatever, and you can tell who sends those, right? So I went through and I pulled out some names of people that actually made comments that it did so in a way that made me feel like they truly support her. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read through some names. Um, and you're going to, um, you're going to tell us like, I won't read through all of these, I, but I want you to, to kind of just say like, what kind of support has this person given to you? So the first one that I noticed was a guy, and I don't know any of these people. Um, one of the first one was John Sayer. I believe he's a superintendent for Clark. And I, what I saw with him was not only the congratulations, Sammy, but I think it had multiple exclamation points. And that to me was like, oh no, he's like actually excited for her. Are yeah. you some, are, is John someone you know well? Yeah. So we have this thing called Field Development Group at Clark, which is a three-year training program for superintendents. I like to call it grad school for supers. And it's an internal program that we put on. And John Sayer is in my class of Field Development Group. So we graduated a couple of years ago um, and we spent a lot of time together. He also lives about a mile from me. So we've got to know each other really well. So that's awesome. Okay. So John is a peer supporting a peer. Okay. The next one I saw was Richard Rizzo. And I saw on his title, it said retired something or other. And I was like, okay, great. This is somebody who is has left the industry and is like still super excited about Sammy. So what, 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 what kind of um, impact has Richard had for you? Yeah, he stepped in um, to the Eisenhower Memorial as our kind of executive uh, VP level person when we were building that job. And he was at Clark at least 30 years, maybe more. And he just always had some sort of story, some sort of, you know, helpful anecdote. uh, If you were having an issue, it was great to have around on the job for sure. That's fantastic. Um, The next one, it it was not a Clark employee the way I read it. Um, His name is Dennis Darling. And his comment was, way to go superstar. And I, I love like, that's somebody who feels a real connection with you, right? That, that feels like it's like he, and I, I'm, if Dennis isn't as old as I had in my head, like it, like it's your, his daughter or his sister or someone like that's how the comment came across. So how, how does Dennis's support work for you? Dennis is also retired from Clark. Oh, so he is. Okay. He, yes. So similar to Rich, he was also involved in Eisenhower Memorial. Um, but he's a big golfer, Dennis is. And we he used to organize our yearly Clark golf tournament, um, which I always plan. Um, and he was very close with our Eisenhower team as well. And we'd always have a team in the golf tournament. Um, so I got to know him personally, you know, on the golf course and also professionally, which was really fun. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to digress for a second and then we'll come back. 
this whole golf thing. So I also uh, chair golf tournaments. I chaired the first one for Jay Don and United for United Way and Jay Don down in Houston, Texas, and now I chair the one for uh, Nawick here in Kansas City. Um, what? How did you get into golf? Why did you get into golf? Well, my grandparents, not my construction side grandpa, but my other side grandparents um, lived at the villages in Florida. I don't know if you're familiar. It's like the world's largest retirement community or something. It's you'll just Google it. It's crazy. I'm um, not familiar they, and I'm not sure if I should be offended that you think I know that right now. Oh, it's I'm just not like that old, I Sammy. Like, oh yeah, my grandpa lived in the villages. Like literally everyone's <laughs> grandparents lived there. So I just assumed okay. your grandparents. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good um, but they lived on a golf course. So when I was very little, I had my own set of golf clubs and I'm left-handed and a woman. So it's hard to just like borrow someone's golf clubs. Sure. Um, so I golfed a little when I was young. Um, and then when I, you know, got to Clark, that was, it's like a thing everyone does. And, uh -huh. um, I enjoy it. My husband and I took golf lessons together and so I, I really didn't pick it back up until I was working for Clark. And, but it did, I, I think a lot of times people feel like, oh, I don't know how to golf, so I'm not going to go. And it feels mm -hmm. like very exclusionary. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people did a really good job being like, you don't have to be good. Just come out and play with us. Let's That's go right. to top golf. Let's go to the driving range. And it was a very like fun and welcoming thing. Like we'd play music and obviously drink on the course. And it was just like a really fun thing yeah. that was really welcoming which I think probably sometimes it isn't. And so I was very lucky that that was my experience. What do you think, uh, what would you say to women who are, are on the fence about the whole golf thing, right? Like, I don't know how to play and you're right. You don't have to be good. You just need to go out and try and have a good time. But what can they, what can they gain from being on that course for a few hours? Yeah. It's a time with folks that is you're not in a meeting. It's a little more casual. You're getting to know them on a different level. And it kind of takes a long time, right? Like playing 18 holes takes a while. It's for so you're fucking with that person ever. For a it's while. the longest <laughs> sport on the face of the know, planet. <laughs> I love playing nine. I don't love yes. playing 18, but I will. Nine. But nine is the sweet spot. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, but even for some of the younger um, women who work with me now, they have been going out just to the driving range, even in the winter. Or we have a golf simulator now in our new office that Clark recently moved Ooh. into, um, which anybody can use. So that's really fun and accessible because you're not even out on a course. You're literally just practicing, which is yeah. what everyone wants to do. So um, I definitely encourage folks just go to the range find some people that you know that like to golf because some of your friends probably golf and they aren't going to give a shit if you're not good honestly they're not going to care something they just want to go drink with you on the golf course they do that they do yeah. the something i never thought about until we just mentioned the nine holes is maybe you need another maybe women need to find a golf partner that is tag team like I'll play the first nine and then out and you come and play the last nine. Like we could still get that networking and that mentorship, yeah. organic mentorship and stuff that happens on, uh, on the golf course. And we wouldn't have to be stuck there for all 18 holes. Like yeah. maybe that's something people should start considering is tag team with golf. That idea. Okay. So two more people that I wanted to, to mention uh, one was an executive at Clark. And I think it's one thing for executives to say, hey, good job or congrats on your promotion. It's kind of like part of what they're supposed to do as good executives, right? 
But this guy, uh, Steve Leary was his name. He he seemed to have a genuine interest in your promotion. What um, what what is the relationship with Steve and how has he supported you? Steve is my current construction executive on a job that I'm on. One okay. of the couple jobs I'm working on. So okay. um, he is uh, my boss right now and he's great. He is a really good manager, doesn't micromanage very available whenever you need him, which is great. Um, but we also have had, I have a connection with his daughter now also. So she is nine and Steve was off one day and we had an issue on the job site and he called me and I did not know I was on speakerphone in the car with his wife and daughter. Oh no. Construction language needs to be warned. And I don't remember saying anything too harsh or inappropriate, but, um, you know, something had happened and I was like, all right, this is what happened. This is who's working on it. This, you know, X, Y, Z person's doing this. I've already reached out to another job to see if we can get material. If we can't get it X, Y, Z. And he's like, oh, okay, great. Then you just keep doing your thing. I was like, all right, good. I'll let you know what happens. And, um, and, you know, hung up left and I think it was I think that was a Friday and the next week he came in he's like I just want you to know that my wife and daughter just loved you on the phone I was like what that's awesome um and I got to meet her take your child to work day and um so Charlotte's my little buddy she I'm a season ticket holder for the Washington Spirit which is the NWSL women's soccer professional team in DC and um she is she plays soccer and is big into soccer so her team has gone to games and so I've gotten to see them at soccer games and met the rest of the family and stuff it's really fun but she came home and asked him she's like daddy do girls do what you do and he was like of course Sammy is a superintendent on my job site you'll have to meet her you know this was before the phone call situation yeah And um, so she's very curious about, you know, making sure that, you know, women can do all these things. And, you know, I was asking those questions. So it's fun to kind of show her that we can do whatever we want. I love that. You get to to be the see it for her to be it. Uh, That's fantastic. Uh, Okay. Last name that I'm going to mention. And I I just, I felt like this one, uh, Casey Hoyt. There was something about that that just to me felt like, um, it was a, a peer relationship. That's like, you're just real supporters of each other, the way the message came across. And I, you know, I've had some of those in, in my life and my career. And it's like, those bonds really last forever. Is that, is that what I saw with that? 100%. You yeah. read that completely the right way. Yeah. So <laughs> I was in Seattle two years ago for six and a half months helping out in the convention center. And Casey was a superintendent on the convention center. And so I got to know him. We have a shared love of the Averitt brothers. If you're familiar with that band, they're from Concord, North Carolina, where I'm from. If you're into folksy Americana rock music, highly recommend. Um, And so we also bonded over these really good bacon scones that we got at the coffee shop next to the (laughs) office. So um, we're real like, soul siblings i think casey and i um he also has two daughters he's such a girl dad i love that so much too he's the best and now he lives in nashville so i've gotten to visit him in nashville also and he was like one of the first people who called me when i got promoted i think his exact words were are you fucking kidding me (laughs) that's fantastic that's fantastic excited for me and i i mean you know he's just like the best he's one of the um in win our women's insight network at clark is our women's group and he is an ally 
liaison um, for the central region. So he is part of our women's group, super big supporter, like huge feminist. Like, oh, I just love Casey. Well, you know what? What? So I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Clark's Win Group was one of the first companies to hire me to come speak to their women's resource group. Um, and when I spoke not to- tell. What's I that? thought you had spoken to a hundred women's <laughs> resource groups. <laughs> well, I I had been speaking for years before that, but I, I, I had never, um, I just recently, a few months before that started my own business where it was a full-time gig for me. And so, um, that's when, when companies started hiring me to do those talks and I gave my one ladder talk to you guys that day. And, um, when, when I do, so my one ladder talk is really, um, just to let the audience know, it's really about the challenges, the four main challenges that women face as they're climbing the ladder to leadership. And I relate those to broken, missing, slippery, and sticky rungs, uh, that women face. And so giving that talk to women is one thing. I mean, women already know, uh, even if they are not able to put names to those, those challenges, they know they're facing them. So we talk about overcoming them and eliminating them. But every time I speak to a women's group, I always encourage each woman to personally invite one man to attend, because this is a speech that men need to hear as well. They need to understand the challenges that we're facing because, um, take someone, uh, like Casey that we were just talking about, he may be a natural supporter of women, a natural supporter of you, but that doesn't mean he understands everything that you've actually gone through. And when the men hear this speech, they're like, what that happens. And what I was really impressed with, with Clark was, you know, it was broadcast nationwide. So I, I don't know who all was on the call, but in the room in Kansas city, there were actually more men that showed up than women. And they were very participatory and had real thoughtful questions um, once we shut down the the public broadcasting across the company. And I was just really impressed with that. I think that's really indicative of kind of where the industry is going. Like I'm seeing more and more of that, like especially as men are not that they ever didn't want to. I think they just didn't know how to. And we're giving them this, you know, platform, I guess, in this win group, they can join as allies, they can, you know, participate in all these activities. And it's really opening their eyes and helping them help us, which is great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so let's go. So you after college, uh, a year after college is when you started with Clark. And what I haven't asked you is at what point, I mean, you talked about when you switched from engineering to construction management, at what point did you decide superintendent is the path? And at that time, what made you think superintendent was the path? Yeah. I mean, I think my first internship, um, I worked for a company before I went to Clark PCL construction. Um, I ended up moving geographically to a different place, so couldn't work for them anymore. Um, and so you know, found a great home at Clark, which was great. Uh, but I interned for PCL for three summers before I graduated college and then worked for them a year after college before I came to Clark. And my very first summer, I had a superintendent, Mike Schaefer, shout out if you hear this podcast. Um, he was just like the best. And he was so supportive. And he walked around site with a cup of coffee and a cigar, not lit, just a cigar in his mouth. And um, was just like such a commanding presence on the site, but also just so kind. 
And he would yell at people if he needed to, which wasn't often. People really respected him. He had a really good plan for the job. Um, he taught me a lot. And I was like, I this is fun. Like running around in this dirt pile, we were building an operation and maintenance facility for the light rail in Minneapolis. And it was an addition to this old Gillette building that is now actually a baseball stadium. Um, it's a very interesting job. And so we were building this shell, but a lot of it was dirt floor. And it was just like so fun to see. We had a wheel truing machine that had to come over from Germany that the light rail trains would go on to make their wheels circular again because they end up oblong as they're like running down the light rail eventually. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a lot of really different type of materials and different type of equipment. And he really got in the weeds and like knew all that stuff and taught me a ton. And um, it was really, it was fun. It was just so fun to like run around a job site. And I, I mean, my job for the first month was just count everybody and take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. And I learned, I knew everybody on the job site. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all the guys there were, you know, mostly great. I will say some of them not so great, but sure. it is what it is. Um, and really had a team that really supported me and encouraged me to be out in the field and not just like sitting doing admin work at a desk. Um, and I loved it. Well, and I love that you see the the benefit. It, it sounds like you're somebody who sees the the benefits in in things. And you were sent out to send to do counts and to see who was there. And there are so many people, um, kids that would go into internships and be like, ah, I don't want to go do this, right? Um, but you saw what that gave that gave you an opportunity to meet everyone on site. And as you become more comfortable with people, you feel like you can ask them questions. What is it you're doing? Why are you doing it that way? Like it's creating connections. But once again, it I'm going to circle back to women love relationships. Like it's creating those relationships. You didn't just see it as a task to go count employees. You saw it as an opportunity to create relationships. And, you know, looking at your um, profile on LinkedIn, you did an intern every single summer um, of your college career, which I don't think is normal. I think you're an overachiever, which is fantastic. Um I didn't even have the the insight to do one every summer. Plus, I didn't I didn't stumble upon construction management till I was a junior in college. But so I had one internship. Um, but you and each one, I could see when I looked at your profile, you were doing something a little different. You're like, hey, I want to try something different. So I love that you found superintendent your first summer, and even after doing the other things, you're like, nope, that's still what I want to do. Yep. So yeah, what definitely. I, what I'd like to talk about now is, is Clark's program for superintendent. And when I was at Jay Dunn, so that's where I was at for the 20 years. And, um, I don't even know what they call it now, but it was a superintendent trainee program. So I was hired out of college. I was the first female they hired out of college to train, to become a, a job site superintendent. And there was like a process, like this is how they train you to become a superintendent. Um, what, what is the process that people go through at, at Clark to get that training to be a superintendent? And is it something that you're supposed to choose when you get out of college? Or is there, you know, a few years before they're like, okay, now you need to decide which path you're going to take? A few years before okay. you decide, which I think is great. I think very few people come out of college and know that they want to be a PM or a superintendent. Um, but yeah, I'm an overachiever, as you said, so <laughs> I knew already. But um, 
I started at, in estimating, which we're not really doing anymore for folks right out of college. Granted, I had a year of experience, but most of the time what we do is we start new hires on a job site, whether that's in the field or in more of a PM role or a trade manager role or something. And then after a year, they rotate to either a different role on their job or to a different department. So they are seeing different things before they're then promoted into being a project engineer, you know, learning more about the business, different roles, different places. And then that's kind of where the split happens. So as a project engineer, you can then choose one of two paths, which is assistant superintendent or project manager. And that's where it starts to split at Clark. And there's an opportunity to go to what we call boot camp, which is our intensive training for project engineers. Typically, it's been for PMs. Some folks who end up going superintendent path go. I, it kind of changes every year of what the grouping is. Um, I went when I was a project engineer. And that really is what we call the project plan, which is just the plan for the job. What's your gross billings? What's your schedule? What's your plan? You know, all this stuff. And so you're going through a real project and creating this plan of how you would build this project and be successful building a project. And then after that, you know, boot camp experience and you're ready to kind of move on and figure out, then you kind of pick your path. So okay, once you become an assistant superintendent, if you go the field route, you have the opportunity to apply for the field development group. And that's a three-year intensive training program that I did with John Sayer and a, a group of other great folks um, at Clark. And the first year and a half is very specifically technical skills. You're learning constructability. How do you go through a set of drawings and analyze it to see if it can be built? You're doing coordination, specific, you know, classes in MEP and earthwork in finishes, you know, all superintendents are coming in and teaching these classes. So across the company, the superintendents kind of give back and teach these classes to the new round of supers. And then you do a group project halfway through. So year and a half in, we do this thing called mini camp. Clark loves the camp. And <laughs> that was a little more like a real camp. We're in Cacapen State Park in West Virginia. And it was so fun. And it's a competition. Um, my team did win the competition. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> and, did you have a yeah. leadership role in the team? Uh, we, ha we had a pretty good split of folks, but okay. yeah, I'm, I'm a really, I'm a Sagittarius, you know, okay. it's, it's a natural thing. Okay. Um, and so I, when I was in, um, the second grade, my teacher wrote on my report card that my leadership abilities were overwhelming, <laughs> which was a really nice way of saying I was bossy. So I appreciate it. Okay. Yep. Uh, can I can I ask if that was a um what gender the teacher was? It was a woman. Yeah, it was a woman. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I appreciated she didn't just say it was bossy. I thought that was yes, nice. absolutely. Uh, and so anyway, halfway through you do mini camp, you do your group project. It's really fun. The second half is communication skills, leadership skills, time management skills, um, and those less technical aspects. I hate to call them quote unquote soft skills because then it feels like they're less important, but arguably more important. Um, and then at the end of that, 
you do a final project, which is a philanthropic project or maybe something with our SRD group, creating a program or something. Um, we ended up doing a make a wish project for a wheelchair bound girl who wanted a porch with an overhang, like a roof over it, so she could sit in the shade and watch the kids play in the neighborhood. And we gave oh. her a new wheelchair ramp, and um, it was amazing. It was an amazing project. And then you graduate FDG uh, with your, you know, cohort of folks that you're probably still very close friends with if you're anything like me. So it was a very fun experience. It was hard. I mean, we had homework. We had classes, you know, once a month and lots of homework in between and lots yeah. of assignments. And it's it's intensive. It's like grad school. Um, and they really, you know, want to have superintendents who are trained to be true builders and also leaders. Yeah. of projects, which is what superintendents are at Clark. Some some construction companies, the PM kind of more runs the job site and the job site project really is run by the PM. At Clark, it's the superintendent. The superintendent controls the schedule. The superintendent, you know, we're doing a lot of cost-loaded schedules. So even the money um, is more in the superintendent's hands now than ever before. Wow. So um, that's definitely the way we do at Clark and we put a lot of emphasis on that training to make sure we have people that are very well prepared to run projects. What I think your articulation of that program can, can tell people is especially anyone who's thinking, man, superintendent could be cool, but I don't know how to do that. The point is you don't have to know how to do it. When you're with the right company, they teach you how to do it. They teach you how to be successful. And too often women hold themselves back because they're like, I don't know how to do that yet. Nobody knows how to be a superintendent until you get that experience and you get that training. And um, I just think uh, I, I want people to hear that, right? Like you don't have to know how to be a superintendent to become one. You have to be willing to learn from the people that have that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, you've been on the superintendent track for quite a while. Uh, I never thought I would leave the superintendent track. I thought I would do that my entire career. I loved it. Something changed that made me start thinking something different. Um, where are you at right now? Do you think you'll be a superintendent forever? Do you? Is there another um, promotion on the horizon that you're shooting for on the superintendent track? Or are you thinking something different? I have been thinking that a lot. Yeah, And I definitely, similar to you, I was like, I just want to build stuff. I just mm -hmm. want to be a superintendent and I'm just going to be like a curmudgeonly old superintendent and I'm going to work at an Ace Hardware when I retire. And yes, I was like, this we have is the it. same thoughts. Yes. I'm like, this, this is perfect. Um, but then as, you know, as I'm moving through my career and getting to manage people more and be, I said it, as I mentioned, I was in estimating. I never kind of left estimating. <laughs> I have been bidding and buying the jobs that I've been working on um, and have been involved in the pre-construction uh, side of the business since I left estimating. And it's it's interesting seeing the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And I think that is re really what's drawing me towards 
considering, you know, a slightly different career path? Is there expansion opportunity somewhere that they would need someone to run an office? Well, I need to know all the sides of the business to do that. So, you know, I want to be involved in what kind of projects are we choosing? How do we make those decisions? How are, you know, what are our bid strategies? And then what are our build strategies? And how do we do that? How do we close out a job? How do we keep client relationships? Um, Things like that. So I think the whole picture is becoming much more interesting to me than being on one job and building one job, which is very, very fun. Um, But I've, I've now expanded beyond that. I'm on a couple jobs in construction right now. I've got a job that is starting up early next year. Um, I just helped bid a job that we just won. That's going to start mid next year. So questionable with my, um, you know, involvement and that will be, but, um, it's, it's fun to kind of do everything and I'm liking being able to do everything. That's awesome. Uh, I could literally talk to you all day, but I will, I will wrap this up. I have two questions for you to wrap up. What would you say to a young woman considering construction? Would say, go see it. Find someone that you know that either go see a habitat job site, do some volunteering, find someone you know that knows someone. Like if I had a friend call me and be like, hey, my little sister is in college and she is a freshman and doesn't really know what she wants to do. Can she come hang out with you for a day? I'd be like, yes. When can she be here? Yesterday? That's great. So find someone that knows someone. It's a small world. Construction is everywhere. Somebody you know probably knows somebody in construction. Um, And we, if you couldn't tell, love talking about what we do. (laughs) Anyone would be happy to show you a day in their life. Um, And then, you know, you really get a good feel for what it's like and that it's not just, okay, we're going to go shovel some dirt. It's so complicated and interesting and so many problems to solve and relationships to build. And um, I think it's a lot more complex and interesting than people realize. Um, you mentioned a shovel. That is one tool I never learned to use. I am, I am an idiot with a shovel. Like I can't, I can't dig anything to save my life. Um, but talking about reaching out to someone who knows someone or whatever, like the first, first young woman that ever reached out to me, it was in 2016 and she didn't know me. She didn't know anyone. She found Nawick online and found me through Nawick and reached out and was like, Hey, I'm considering this but my parents aren't really all about construction. They don't think I should do it. Um, Would you talk to me? I'm like, talk to you. Are you kidding me? Like come shadow me for a day. Like I'll come take you on job sites. We'll walk around. Like um, I've maintained that relationship with her for, for seven years now. Um, So you don't, you don't even have to know someone you just reach out because, because just like Sammy said, we want to show you you know, and if somebody, you reach out to someone and they don't want to show you, maybe they're the wrong person. Maybe you caught them on the wrong day. Try somebody else. But I would say 99 times out of a hundred, they're going to be like, yes. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. I have a meeting with a, uh, a young person in uh first of January that I'm excited to meet that I got a recommendation from a teacher at a high school nearby. that was like, Hey, I know you do this. And I have a student who's interested, but their parents like aren't all about it. So that leads me to the second question. What would you say to any parent concerned that their daughter or their child uh, won't be successful in construction because of who they are or what they look like? Um, It takes all kinds of kinds. 
there's this, you know, thought of a construction worker being this very specific archetype. Um, and that's just really not true. There are every, like we said earlier, on a job site, every personality you can imagine. At Clark, the people I work with, every personality you can imagine. And construction isn't just boots on the ground. It's also finance. It's legal. It's marketing. It's There's so many different realms, like ever, anything you can think of. It's tech. It's IT. Um, really feeds into being successful yeah. in building. And so there's if you're not the person who loves being on a job site, that's okay. Yeah. You could be in estimating, you could be creating new programs in SR&D, you could be in VDC, virtual design and construction, be doing modeling. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity. I also will say AI is not going to build buildings for us. <laughs> so Not in our so, lifetime, at least. Somebody's going to have to do that. Yeah. There's people who need to build buildings. And I think you know, we've been talking construction kind of in the go to college, become a manager way, but also in the trades, it's free to be trained. You get paid while you're getting trained. That's right. Those we're going to, we need those people. There's, I think the average age of a tradesperson in construction is like 62 or something. And that's, they're going to retire and we're going to have no mm -hmm. one to build buildings. That's so right. I think it's important for parents to understand those folks that are moving up through an apprenticeship are making more money than you. Yes. <laughs> like likely. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know what these parents do, but it's not, it's, it's not a question of, oh, you're going to be a blue collar worker and you're not going to be successful in life. Like that's really not it. No. Like there's, there's a money to be made and yes. problems to solve and people to meet. And it's a lot of fun. And, and we are we here for it. Kinds of people to do it. Yes. And, and we are some of those people, people that look like us. Uh, it's, exactly. it's been an amazing career and I am so excited that we're both in it. And I, I loved this conversation with you. Thank you for taking you the time to do this and uh, to get to know you a little better. And I'm hoping that we can have future conversations about things that yes. pop into our heads uh, in the future. So thank you very Definitely. much. When you make your way out to DC, hit me up. If you know someone that could benefit from this particular episode, then share it with them. Or if you want to continue to learn about the untapped and underutilized resources that will take your business to the next level, then follow the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode where we discuss what you needed to hear. And lastly, there is a link in the show notes that will allow you to reach out to me directly if you want to accelerate that learning curve. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.